Welcome to Season 2, Episode 26 of Logicast, the AWS News Podcast brought to you by Logicata. I'm Carl Robinson, CEO and co-founder of Logicata, and I'm joined, as I am every week, by my colleague, John Goodall. How, how are you this week, John? That caught me off guard. You changed it. I did. I had to think of something different to say because I've been saying the same thing every week for however long now. So, uh, yeah, I just switched it up a little bit there. Oh, yeah, no, that caught me. No, I'm good. I'm good. Friday was good. Passed the DevOps Pro exam on Friday. Yeah, but I didn't find steps. out until Saturday because yet again, I got audited. I seem to get audited all the time on these. Hmm. Well, it's only one night of uh, panicking as to whether, <laughs> whether you've actually made it or not, whether all that yeah. study paid off. But uh, yeah, well done on your first uh, pro specialty level cert. Uh, onward and upward. Here's to many more. Is there an up? I don't think there's an up. There's just uh, onwards and side, onwards and sideways. <laughs> onwards and yeah, sideways. Onwards and more sideways. Yeah. So uh, anyway, uh, we're also joined today by a very special guest, uh, Maria Christidi Noble, uh, who is also uh, an AWS community builder. So uh, great to have you on board, Maria. Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and what you do for a living. Hi, Carl. Hi, John. Nice to finally meet you. Um, thank you so much for uh, having me over this episode. Um, I'm Maria. I've recently been accepted as an AWS community builder and I'm so grateful to be part of this community. I've met amazing people throughout the almost, I think, five, six months I've been part of the program since uh, February. Yeah. And so uh, it's just a, a great place for people of all levels that love cloud computing to AWS specifically. That's my um, only true love when it comes to cloud computing so far, I haven't like explored other clouds yet. So <laughs> I have to say I'm, I'm happy where I am. I, I come from a untraditional background related to technology that is. Um, I have well over a decade of experience in business operations, um, business development, leadership uh, in different industries, including fitness, hospitality, finance, education, and now, recently, I'm part of a cloud education uh, uh, team. Uh, the company is called Digital Cloud Training and specializes in AWS training uh, for certification, hands-on uh, experience, and so on. So within the company, I help a lot with customer success. And I find that very rewarding throughout my career. I try to have that, uh, you know, um, constant connection with people and, and be able to help the best way I can um, so their experiences, you know, what they want it to be. Cool. So is it fair to say you're relatively new to the cloud world then as well as to the Community Builder program? Yeah, that's, that's very true. Um, close to a year, soon to be. Um, I'm working on, um, well, my goal is to take two more AWS certifications by the end of the year. Um, so working on that, um, working hands-on, love building on AWS, and I, I truly think being part of the community and the enthusiasm and the passion, you know, keeps your inner flame going. Uh, so I've, I've always loved um, working for, being aligned with my work and, you know, my goals. So I feel that I'm, I'm at the right place. Um, I come from a humanities background, so technology has always been a little bit intimidating. Um, aside from the fact I loved 
playing, you know, computer games in my younger years, like League of Legends and StarCraft and so on. So I've always loved technology in general, so I incorporated in business operations and uh, always thought it's, it's a great means to succeed in business, you know. So very open-minded and then cloud computing started growing and growing and I felt, hey, this is really, it's really a democratizing technologies because anybody can learn the cloud and apply it in their, in their business goals, you know, as long as you have that seed of interest to learn and troubleshoot, I think you, you can make it. Absolutely. Well, I think we're going to talk about that in one of the articles that we've selected for this week as well. But uh, I guess you are living proof uh, that it is possible to uh, to make that transition. So uh, well done. Uh, anyway, uh, speaking of uh, the articles, uh, as you'll know, if you listen to the podcast on a regular basis every week, I collate a uh, list of AWS news, which I share via my weekly AWS News Roundup newsletter. Um, and then John and I select a subset of those articles that we'd like to talk about on the podcast with our guest. Uh, so we've got a list of such articles this week. And uh, the first one, in fact, the first two um, are from our friends at InfoQ. Um, we, we do like their articles. Uh, this one is by uh, AWS hero Renato Lozio. We didn't make him a hero. He's been a hero for a long time and he hasn't been on the podcast. But uh, yeah, we, we've, we've made a few heroes on the podcast. Uh, and let's, let's, let's hope we're going to make some more. But uh, no, Renato uh, has been a hero for a while and writes regularly for InfoQ. And he's written this article um, about this recently launched feature, um, Live Tail in CloudWatch Logs for Real-Time Exploration of Logs. So that's a nice title because it does kind of explain uh, what the service does. Um, but tell us a little bit more about the uh, the uh, live tale for CloudWatch Logs, John, and why you might want to do real-time exploration of logs. Right. So in traditional fashion, let's do a couple of definitions in case people aren't familiar with some terms. So live tailing is um, an internet term functionally for a persistent tail of a log. And a tail of a log file is it's a Linux thing, tail minus F, and it will just kind of trawl through the log file and it'll just, as new uh, records are written to the log, it'll just show them on the screen. Really helpful if you're trying to debug something, if you're trying to look at something. I've been live tailing Nginx logs since, I don't know, since I could type because it's a thing that you end up needing to do. Cool. Other log analytics tools, Datadog being one of them, has had live tailing for a long time where you just say, show me the live tail and it will just on the screen as it gets logs, it will just show them to you. This is kind of cool. This is really handy. Again, if you're working in serverless or in containers where you don't necessarily have a log file per se, and you're trying to debug what's going on, something might be broken, so on, so on. Cool. You couldn't do that in CloudWatch logs until now. Why is this helpful? Well, a couple of services log by default to CloudWatch, Lambda being one of them. So you don't really, it's really handy because you don't have to worry about writing log drivers and making sure you're exporting your logs out somewhere. You just print to the console and it shows up in CloudWatch. It's great. It's really handy. But if you're doing online dev and you're not using the AWS toolkit or you're just kind of trying to debug something because you didn't make it, then you are forever hitting refresh and reloading log groups and log streams. And it's just really painful because it it's eventually consistent cloud watch it gets there pretty quickly but you know you can run the lambda and then you've got to wait and then wait a bit more and then reload and then it's there so this is kind of taking that pain and making it go away 
it's really quite cool because I've used it because I'm doing lots of Lambda work and you just sit set the live tail on the group rather than the stream because you get a new log stream every time you re-invoke a Lambda when it's redeployed. So because it's cached for a little while, it kind of reuse a stream for a bit, but not forever. So you put a tail on the log group rather than the stream and you just leave a screen running and as you're working, it just does it. Great. The pricing is pretty cool. You get 1,800 uh, minutes per month for free, perpetual, which is pretty good. What's 1,800 minutes? That's 30. Uh, what's that in hours? That's, it's, yeah, 30 so. hours. it's 30 hours. So we could say yeah. like maybe an hour a day. It's in that sense, maybe. <laughs> it's, 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 yeah, it's pretty generous. And then it's um, a dollar a minute after that. No, sorry, it's a penny a minute. It's a penny a minute after that. So it's aggressively priced. Um, and quoting Corey Quinn at the end there, it's how he uses CloudWatch logs 95% of the time. Yeah, me too, honestly. Just sit there hitting the refresh button, getting logs. <laughs> so I like this. I like this a lot because of, of that and the fact that you can have more than one group in a live tower session. So if you're trying to end-to-end -end debug something going from API gateway through a load balancer to a Lambda, you could have three, four log groups that you need to kind of pay attention to, and they're all just there. So that makes your life a lot easier when you're kind of stringing lots of services together. So yeah, like that, have used that, will continue to use that. Nice. To head off your questions. Yeah, you've answered all the questions before. <laughs> I've had a chance to ask them. So uh, yeah, we, we know each other too well. Um, so uh, any thoughts on this one yourself, Maria? I think it's great. I think CloudWatch is, it, I've used it um, while, you know, learning and building and different labs. So it's it's a, a resource we always have to use anyway. And I think that makes it a lot easier. Like John said, I also love the, the element of the filter, the filter patterns. I think that's great too. We can specify with keywords, show me all the errors or, or however you want to do it. And I also paid attention in the documentation as well that it is case sensitive as well. So <laughs> that's also something to pay attention to, you know, typing keywords and, and so on. So I feel color coding is also great um, as part of the, of the, of specifying the terms that you want and just helps out. I think the, the overview as you work, I'm sure you can guys document that more than me. I'm, I'm more of a student practicing, but on your daily work, I think, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, getting this into the, in, in the console, it's handy because it's there. Because if you're trying to debug something that, you know, like I say, you didn't write, you're not developing customer application because as consultants, we do that quite a bit. That's cool. What's really handy is with the CLI, with the API, you just have the live tail just spinning in a terminal and then you start running your tests in other terminals in your IDE, whatever, and you never have to log in because the console can be a bit painful at times. And if you don't have to use it to achieve something else, great. Love it. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm a bit more in your camp, Maria, because, uh, I don't use these things either. It's this little secret there for the listeners. Um, uh, World's I, I tend, worst kept secret. Uh, I, I tend, <laughs> tend to only use them when I'm doing labs and courses and everything else. So, uh, yeah. I'm yeah not, it's quite uh, funny because every time that comes up, you get, oh, I'm in sales. And yet you've done SA Pro. You, you can't have the I oh, I'm in sales card when you've done that test. I'm, well, I'm, I'm revoking the sales card. Yeah, okay. Let's call it executive function then. I'm in the executive <laughs> function, uh, so I'm very rarely getting my hands... Uh, I was going to say hands dirty. I do get my hands dirty, but not with computers. So, uh, yeah. Well, 
<laughs> usually cars and motorbikes and things like that but uh, it's got nothing to do with uh, with cloudwatch logs so um anyway uh moving oh, swiftly know. on you, you, you could you could stream some uh data out of um like an obd module from your bike if you felt really nerdy could i use cloudwatch logs live tail to uh, analyze that i probably could actually if i was maybe not while riding yeah yeah no definitely not no no <laughs> Uh, I, I did have a bike that uh, did a whole load of data logging actually to a mobile phone app, which was pretty cool. It told you your max lean angle and things like that. So uh, you could go out and go around roundabouts and try and lean it over more and then get the app out and think, oh, that was disappointing. Or, wow, that was great. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> we really are getting off topic now, I think. So um, anyway, let's move uh, swiftly on to our second article from um, InfoQ this week, um, which is um, about... Uh, I'm not sure if we spoke about this on the podcast before, but I know we've been speaking a lot about it internally at Logicata. It's something that was launched recently uh, called EC2 Instance Connect Endpoint um, to uh, enable secure connectivity between public and private networks. Um, so um, it's really a new secure way to connect to your EC2 instances uh, without using SSH, as I understand it. John, perhaps you can uh, shed a bit more light on this for us. Yeah, so um, this is a bit of a fuzzy one because EC2 Instance Connect has been a thing for a little while, but it needed a public IP address. Uh, so you could connect to it without having to worry about SSH keys and usernames and all that jazz. You just kind of went connect and you got a session in the browser. Great, love that. Um, what this is doing is it's taking that, but kind of improving it. You no longer need a public IP address, so you can connect to your private non-web-facing EC2 instances directly. You don't have to run a Bastion host to do it because Bastions are bane of my existence. They really are. Some people refer to them as jump boxes, jump hosts. I think that's an Australian term, but it makes a lot more sense when you use that because you get on that server and then you can jump to the next one or you can use them to tunnel SSH connections through so that you can access uh, privately hosted uh, RDS instances or kind of any other resource. Right. What this is doing is it's taking that Bastion requirement and just getting rid of it because it's Bastion as a service functionally. What it does is it's it's functionally, like I say, it's Bastion as a service. It's, it's a TCP proxy um, and it supports SSH and RDP. So you can use it to connect to your Windows instances as well as to your Linux instances. And because it also supports SSH, you can use it to connect to your um, RDS instances by using a tunnel, right? Because when you're using a Bastion as a tunnel, you connect to the Bastion by SSH, and then you have forwarded a port from your machine onto the Bastion. So that port 3389 for MySQL just goes straight through and uh, it's connected via SSH. So this is taking that and meaning that you don't have to maintain and configure a server, keep that up to date, patched, hardened, all that jazz. Just it's there. And even better, it's free. Like a bit of free. Like a bit of free. Um, so that's really cool. That is really, really cool. A couple of other things that it does do as well is because um, it's basically running as a bastion, you open a tunnel and then you can do SCP. So you can move files up and down again without having to hop them over bastions and that kind of thing. Uh, and there's a nice convenience function as well. If you're trying to connect to uh, a Linux machine, you just run the command EC2 instance connect SSH instance name and it will drop you straight onto the box. And it's using your IAM permissions to work out whether or not you should have access to these servers rather than um, a host key. Yes, for a Windows machine, you do still have to provide a username and a password, but that's just doing the tunneling as opposed to dropping you straight onto the machine. But this is really cool. 
really, really like this. How about yourself, Maria? I'm sure you'll have uh, come across Bastion hosts in your uh, yeah. your training journey. Uh, perhaps you won't have come across this because it's so new. But uh, any any thoughts on this one from you? I I think it's great that they they're trying to um, simplify things even more, <laughs> make them even more you know less dependencies and and it's less mistakes. Thus, you know, less less chance to to error. Um, Thoughts I had around this was if you guys know maybe if it's already supported by CloudFormation or what are your thoughts? Will it ever be supported by CloudFormation? So it sits in the um, endpoints in the VPC. I've not right. checked CloudFormation, but I think it's available because right. in the same way that um, like an S3 endpoint for VPC it, you just sort of sit it in the endpoint list. It it works like that. I've not checked CloudFormation, but I would imagine it is available. Given that it's available via the CLI, it will be available via yeah. Terraform already, if if not very, very soon, because that talks to the API and Terraform gets there really quickly. Um, so yeah, this is cool. And as I say, I think it's in CloudFormation. So it's something that, I mean, we as a business should be doing and people generally, I would recommend, start mm. putting this in your VPC templates. Because mm -hmm. it's there, it's free. Even if you're not really going to use it, just do it because it's great. Potentially a small cost saving element uh, to it as well. Because uh, if you are doing away with the Bastion host, um, no cost to run it. So. I mean, maybe, but they tend to run like T2 micros and T3 yeah, nanos yeah. and things. So it's, it's trivial. But, trivial. you know, as they say, look after the pennies and the pounds or the dollars will look after themselves. Um, so, <laughs> so um, on that note, let's move on to our next article. Showing uh, your age again. Is... <laughs> Was it now? What, what do we say now then? Look after the pounds and the uh, the hundreds will look after themselves or something. <laughs> no, now we just say, oh, cost of living. Yeah, yeah. The, the colk, the cost Cosy of living lives. crisis. Cosy yeah. lives. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on from the cost of living, uh, let's talk about something that everybody wants to talk about at the moment um, when we talk about cloud. Um, and uh, this, this article um, is all about AWS embracing the power of generative AI. So you can't really look at the cloud press at the moment or the IT press without coming across articles about generative AI. John and I recently attended the, uh, the London summit uh, where it took them about three minutes to, into the keynote to mention generative AI. Um, I was on a call with an AWS account manager, a three-way call with a client the other day. And at the end of the call, the account manager asked if they were interested in generative AI. So AWS are obviously really pushing uh, the whole generative AI piece, um, partly because the, the technology is just gathering a pace in the industry as a whole. Um, and uh, some people say AWS are playing catch up. Uh, others say they're just playing the uh, the long game, the smart game. Um, but um, I think, you know, this article um, is really uh, has been published because there's a, there's a big uh, conference happening in the US this week, uh, I think later this week, all about generative AI. Um, but of course, it does talk about AWS's um, bedrock proposition, which they talked a lot about um, at the recent summit. Um, but uh, Maria, I know you were keen to talk about this one. So um, tell us your thoughts about uh, generative AI and uh, how you think, is it, is it impacting your life yet or your, your working life? Yeah, absolutely. I think it impacts, I don't know if it's most people's, but at least people, I guess, within the realm of technology have definitely heard about it. And definitely, maybe some have been impacted with their jobs also, but also how to utilize it for 
becoming more uh, productive within uh, within your tasks as well. I think um, I think it's a matter of getting familiarized, um, being a little open minded. So in a way, I do agree to an extent with with Matt Wood's comment here um, relating to you know trying to be to be open minded and um, and understand that it's probably not going to go anywhere the same way cloud computing isn't going anywhere. So in a way, once we understand it and, and educate ourselves around it, learn how to utilize it for the best of our advantage, I think we have a better chance to also contribute in which direction it's going instead of just, you know, receiving passively information whether be it positive or negative, um, I'm sure you, you've heard already in EU, they have almost passed uh, the AI Act, which is globally the first one that's going to really affect the way AI is operating in European Union. Of course, it hasn't been voted yet, but last week there was a big, an open letter from more than 150 uh, big um uh, tech tech figures in the in the European Union directed to the Commission and you know the Parliament saying well we we need to look at this a little more we feel it's very restrictive and you're gonna put EU far behind the game you know kind of staying on the sidelines where the rest of the world is going faster so they're asking for more um, research on, on on where to regulate and how much so the businesses can still innovate and contribute because there are areas that for example me medical sector has been very um, positively influenced by by ai and and you know early detection and connecting all the dots through a patient's history and so on so yeah i think it's um i think everybody's still a little bit torn there are ethical and privacy concerns that I don't think I've been addressed yet to an extent that people can feel safe with their information out there. Uh, but I think the way to go is to learn more about it, understand it, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, <laughs> one of my big concerns is, uh, I, I can't remember which one of my children it was, but uh, they've been using it to do their homework. And uh, so the kids all know about generative AI. And uh, I don't know how many of the uh, how much of uh, students' coursework is now being done by generative that's, AI. That's dangerous because uh, there's websites out there that will tell you if it's AI generated. Yeah, I guess like the plagiarism checker things. Right. Yeah, um, so that's really depends, dangerous. I suppose it depends how good the eye of the AI is, though, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> because I mean, I to be fair, a, a lot of what people do when they when they are. Uh, writing articles as they research stuff and they regurgitate it in their own words, which is kind of what some aspects of uh, generative AI is doing. Um, but uh, yeah, but yeah. we touched on this a lot because um, was it Jeff? Was it? Uh, it was Werner. Was it Werner Vogels that kind of said ages ago now that there was this thing that ChatGPT said that was just patently false, like it was wrong, and mm -hmm. he was up in arms about it, and it was you know not balanced bias for the truth and all this sort of thing. So. Yeah, it's 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 not so much just doing the research and regurgitating it in your own tone of voice, but you do need to do understand it in case if you get you know questioned on it and all the rest of it. But yeah, mm -hmm. using it for your homework is it's it's naughty. 
It is definitely because you also never know necessarily if the information you're getting is correct. You know, those models have those like hallucinations moments <laughs> that they they just pop up an answer and it's like that's definitely not definitely not what I asked and definitely not what I was hoping to get and definitely not true. So I I feel even um, it shouldn't be seen as a way to cheat or like you know, um, it will write the code for me and then I'll just copy paste it because that's not professionalism. You should be able to like know enough um, to be able to double check the solution. It will save you time, obviously, but as long as you double check, make sure everything is correct, then go ahead and, and be confident that this is correct. You know, there's still, I feel it's like baby steps still. I think we experience this real big, you know, exponential growth um, that will be so fast and like from month to month we see big changes i did have chat gpt write the uh, marketing description for our brighton aws user group meeting that uh, that we did recently uh, and it did a much better job than i could have done myself i think but um yeah but yeah proceed with caution i think is right. uh, the message isn't it really like, like uh, with many of these new technologies but uh, yeah the uh, the possibilities are are endless really and uh, you know we saw some great examples of that at the recent london summit and i'm sure we're going to see many many more um great examples and use cases for the technology um anyway i'm conscious of time um, so let's skip on. We've got this article here um, from uh, CRN uh, about uh, five top AWS executives who who resigned, comma, departed in 2023. So I'm not quite sure what to infer from the, uh, the punctuation in the title. Did they all resign or did some of them just depart? Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, we have spoken about this. Uh, we've certainly spoken about one of these people. Um, so the first one in the article is Chris Vonderhaar, which is the uh, who was the head of uh, data centers at AWS. Um, but uh, what what do we think is going on here, guys? Where are all these big se why, why and where are all these big senior executives going from AWS? Well, Chris Vonderhaar, no comment. Um, the next chap, Panit Chandok. Again, it doesn't say. A couple of them have gone, have sort of left from like VP sort of level, relatively senior, uh, and just go and do their own thing because they've kind of seen, oh, I can make a load of money doing this. And they go and do their own thing and they get bought up by somebody else and then they make a few million quid, which is, it's a thing, you know, it's a thing. I can't say I wouldn't do it if I had the opportunity. Uh, <laughs> And I noticed that some, so uh, the, the third one in the article, Arian, uh, I'm going to mispronounce his name, I'm sure, and I hate doing that, but I've never heard it spoken. So uh, Arian Mihis, I guess. I'd, I'd uh, say Mehis, but. Mehis, Arian Mehis, Mihis, um, something along those lines. He's actually left to go to a, a large partner. So, uh, you know, still in the ecosystem, uh, still mm -hmm. technically working for AWS, uh, although on the partner side of the fence rather than directly for the organization. So, um, you know, um, that uh, seems like an interesting move. Certainly a good acquisition for, for that partner. Um, we've seen that at lower levels as well, though, with engineers that we've worked with, where AWS sort of ProServe and the solutions architect team and what have you have a bit of a revolving door between um, partners of a certain level and AWS. So we've seen people kind of go in and out and in and out and hang around for a few years, or, or maybe they'll leave the partner space and, and stay in AWS for a while. It, it doesn't feel uncommon. I don't know if the same is true of like Google and Microsoft, but it probably is. 
So is it just sensationalist uh, press, you think, um, picking on these things? Or what do you think, Maria? Do you think there's something going on? Is there, an, is there a sinister undercurrent or is this just the press trying to make something out of nothing to, uh, I was going to say sell newspapers, but then I'm showing my age again there, aren't I, John? So because uh, none of these, uh, I haven't got my fingers dirty on a newspaper for a while. So, right. yeah. Well, I think it's a mix of both. I think the news are probably trying to put to make an assumption that these are related maybe with the recent layoffs that have happened with, you know, AWS, maybe they feel that's related to that. Um, I think, I think for the most part, these are cases of their own. Like um, John mentioned earlier, um, Chris Vonderhaar, I don't know, um, you chose to not comment on that. <laughs> uh, no, AWS had no comment on that one. Oh, that oh yes, yes. Oh, okay. Yes, AWS, that is true. Um, however, I I don't know. We can assume that uh, back in 2021, he was interested in the uh, actual CEO position. He was one of the runner-ups, you know, mm -hmm. and then that never happened. So maybe he decided to take a different route, you know, maybe that, that was part of his decision. And maybe that is also why AWS doesn't feel like commenting either. You know, it's, it's, it's personal decision a lot of times for that high level of C-level executives, you know, they're... Um, they're, they're their own products themselves, you know, they, they decide what's next for them, what keeps their career going and um, what poses challenges. Cause I think a lot of, of those roles are related to, to solving problems, to, to making companies advance. So if you feel that you've covered this in a company, then, then you want to contribute somewhere else. So it could also be that as well in a lot of these cases, like, um, I think one of the names was um, Tom Lash, uh, who uh, uh, was the GM in the national security category, but then he he's now the CEO of um, Meadow Technical, I think was the company's name. So definitely going up and you know contributing to their career, I, achieving I the status somewhere else, I guess. Right. If you can't. If you can't go any further up the ladder in one organization, then then go and climb the ladder in another one, I guess. Yeah, I, I feel that's that's possible for many many people. Um, then the um, Todd Weatherly Weatherby, I think his name Weatherby. Yeah, that was a big conversation back in the day. I think um, it was definitely the fact he was put in an advisory position for a year from AWS. You know, taken away from the active duty probably contributed to his decision as well. So I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't put those together in signifying one uh, direction for AWS. I think they're just decisions in the corporate world. They happen all the time everywhere. <laughs> Fair enough. Cool. Okay. Uh, again, conscious of time, but I did want to have uh, a couple of minutes on this last article that we'd chosen. Um, which is uh, all about AWS Restart. And we touched on this in your introduction, Maria. Obviously, you're relatively new to the cloud mm -hmm. world. Um, uh, this, this article specifically is about AWS expanding the, uh, the Restart program to Portugal. But um, none of us are Portuguese, as far as I'm aware, and uh, none of us live in Portugal. Uh, I was more interested in the program as a whole, uh, AWS Restart. So is this something that you were part of, Maria, or is it something that you're involved in in, in your, uh, your, your current career? Um, I, I am not a part of it, but I have studied about it because through through my uh, connection, also we have a lot of uh, community builders that are part of the restart. And I feel that this is such a great 
um, initiative from AWS to incorporate and give those opportunities in countries that probably don't have so much exposure to to institutions or places where they can study, apart from the online aspect, of course, because there are many places uh, that you can study online wherever you are in the world. But I think uh, taking into consideration limitations and, qual and, and you know, cost of life and all these things, I think putting this together is great. And it also shows um, the commitment from AWS on, on building knowledge around the cloud and, and and giving people a, a second opportunity to to you know to flourish in a career um, through cloud computing in in certain uh, positions because I also noticed that they train they do specific training for certain roles so that's also great as well um, I, I, I'm guessing these are roles that AWS feels are in great need uh, in general in I noticed one is, a, I think, similar to a technical account manager. So that's definitely a position that every company, you know, dealing with cloud services and customers should have to address issues coming from the customers. So um, connecting them also with employers within their region, that's great. Portugal is southern European country. I come from Greece. I was born and raised in Athens. So I do know for a fact that Southern Europe still struggles with unemployment and still struggles with opportunities uh, to educate younger people also, you know, or, or people later in their career to get a second chance. Sometimes you feel a little stuck in a path if, you know, um, especially in Southern Europe. <laughs> I can't elaborate on that. That's a, a, another podcast session. <laughs> it's a complex issue. Yeah. But no, it's great that AWS are putting resources behind uh, helping people make those, those career transitions. Any closing thoughts on this one, John? Um, not specifically. I mean, I've poked around with the website a little bit. Um, I'm obviously far too old for that. But um, yeah, there's like a dozen in the UK alone. There's representatives of like 30 EMEA countries in there. Um, it's interesting that Portugal wasn't already in there, but I suppose, as you say, it's a Southern European thing, which I always thought was just lazy tax policy, but there we are. Um, but yeah, no, love this, love the hell out of this. And uh, as the article, an article's a bit generous, says it's part of AWS's um, help, effort to help 29 million people, why not 30, um, you know, reskill re and get into tech and all the rest of it. Cool. I remember actually the uh, way the, the place where you got your other minty coloured T-shirt, the Comsum. We were mm. talking to a, a young lady there who had recently uh, reskilled and started in AWS. She's now a solutions architect, community builder, uh, and uh, advocating um, AWS uh, around uh, schools and things like that. And previously had been uh, an auto mechanic. So um, you know, it's uh, great to see people making those changes and uh, bringing the much needed skills uh, into the world of cloud computing, uh, where we have a huge skill shortage. So um, on that note, I'm going to wrap up. Um, that was uh, season two episode. Episode 26 of Logicast. Uh, thank you, John, as always, uh, for, for being here. And thank you, uh, Maria, uh, for, for being our guest today. It's been great to have your insights on those articles. Thank um, you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, so uh, don't forget, uh, you can download Logicast wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we're also now live on a YouTube channel. Um, so if you search for Logicast AWS Nude Podcast, News Pod, not Nude Podcast, News Podcast. 
please put my teeth back in. <laughs> so that would be an entirely different kind of podcast. So it's a Logicast AWS News podcast. And uh, please download and subscribe. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again next time. Thank you. Thank you.